Welcome back to the Four Podman, the wrestling podcast we bring you each and every week on the Dynamo Podcast Network. Head over to YouTube, smash that subscribe and bell notification button. Audio versions of the show are available through Podbean, Spotify, Apple iTunes, wherever you pick up audio versions of the show, you will find us there. Just search Dynamo Podcast Network and the Four Podman and you will find us. If you'd like to contact the show, you'll get us on Facebook, the Four Podman, or you'll pick us up on Twitter at TPodman if you'd like to contact us or drop your comments into the video as always. And while you're doing that, why not give us a good like on the video? We love all those good likes and shares. Joining me tonight for a very interesting episode. It is SummerSlam week, the biggest party of the summer, of course. In the Dynamo Kelly, the podfather of the network. How are we? As always, I'm gravy, baby. Awesome, awesome. Also joining me, the man who has the Slammy Award nearly in his hands for the collector's corner. Darren, how are we doing, Darren? All good, Noel. All good, Eno. Good to see you, boys. Good, good, good to have you. You too, on. my man. As always, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at our top 10 SummerSlam matches. Um, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of crossover. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of debate. Um, but there has been some fantastic SummerSlams. It is one of the big four. Um, and I suppose still, in recent times, it hasn't always weathered great in terms of being a big four. But, I mean, that could be said for most of the big four, including WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It still doesn't have that feel, I suppose, with the way they expanded the pay-per-view range and stuff like that. But still, I think it's a pay-per-view I always look forward to in the summer. It always has a big feel event to it. Um, so really looking forward to it. Ian, kick us off there. Give us a give us a flavour for a couple of matches there. You don't necessarily <clears> have to give us your your top ones, if you like, but give us a feel of some of the ones that made it into the top 10. I like the way you asked me that, because you know me, you know I'm the, the creature of nostalgia. Uh, not too dissimilar to you two, gentlemen. Um, I think I, I'm like you. I'm a fan. I, uh, SummerSlam always stood out to me out of all the big four. For so, I don't know why. I guess I'm a beach boy. What can I say? Um, I'm from Bray. I like the sea. I like the sand, even though it's not much, much sand in Bray anymore. It's all stones. But uh, either way, there was when I was young. No, I always liked the old logo as well. I always liked the intro. It gave, everyone's happier in the summer, aren't they? It's either Christmas or the summer. You know what I mean? And um, I always loved the SummerSlam intros. I always loved that. It, it, it felt to me like that Royal Rumble was your your one where you were you were watching it just to see who was the, the guy that was going to challenge the guy. You know what I mean? Mm. Whereas SummerSlam was almost like the, on par with Mania, but just at a lower level in the sense that you got your big matches. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, because it was always, the, the other two were gimmicked. Obviously, the Royal Rumble was a gimmick. And, of course, the Survivor Series was a gimmick, especially old school, because you had all your favorite guys, you know, going at each other. Um, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you had your favorite wrestlers wrestling against your least favorite wrestlers. <laughs> yes, against <laughs> each other. Against each other. <laughs> but, um, no, so... To give a flavor of this, I know you you kind of came at me today and I had to kind of throw this list together very quickly. And I'm sure like one of you will have something <coughs> that I didn't have. And I'll be like, shit, that's a good point. But that's the great thing about top 10 lists. Mm. They're never they're never locked in. You've always got like your, say, three or four matches 
I've found in my experience doing these podcasts, as you know, Niall, <coughs> um, that you always go away and next week, that top 10 list could be very, very different, but your top three will not never change, you know? So um, they're always subject to change, just like a great professional wrestling card. And that is how I'm going to get people excited for this great episode of the four pod men top 10 SummerSlam matches of all time. Over to you boys. Well, you have to give us your ones first. So well, you, well, you, you told me to get you excited for it. Well, I'll give you, do, I, do you want just one of them first or do you want them you, all? You can give us a couple that aren't in your site top five. If you want to give us just a flavor right. of your list. Okay. Well, I'll start off with a, here's one. Here's one. As the great Paul Stanley says from Kiss, um, no one expected this on my list, and I know it's probably on one of you guys' list. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H is on my list, mm. um, and I have to say the reason it is is because it was a huge markout moment for me. Um, I was actually wrestling at the time; it was just literally, you know, a year into when I started and seeing the return of HBK, you know, not knowing what way he was going to look, not knowing, you know, what was going to happen in this match. And the build-up of it was awesome. It was unsanctioned. Eric Bischoff was, you know, a huge part of that as well, you know, backstage going, you know, I'm not sanctioning this. And H is like giving him shit going, this is going to happen, you know. Um, and Sean coming out in the jeans and the cowboy boots. It was just like... Classic. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, because we had seen the uh, we had seen the rope jump, um, the the previous week on Raw, yeah. and I remember a certain certain WWE superstar, without mentioning names, told me, "Oh, geez, he doesn't look good. He can't even jump the top of the rope." Because remember, he clipped his foot, yeah, on the Raw episode. If anyone remembers that, yeah. he did, and we were like, "Oh shit, what Sean are we getting?" Mm. But good lord, just in true Sean fashion. He kayfabed us all and came back. And uh, yeah, that's that's and, and and the reason I use that match is is not is there were so many elements to it, wasn't there? H was in his prime. Um, you know, H was kind of had, had taken over from the understudy of Sean and DX to being yeah. the guy. And now yeah. Sean coming back and you know, H being such a dickhead about it as well, yeah. wanting to yeah. It was it was you know, kind of the reforming of DX and it's no 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 you're you're over here nah, you're not yeah. part of this group now. I'm doing this in it's like yeah. kind of the recent story of Randy and Edge you know what I mean I'm doing this for your own good yeah you need to stay at home yeah <laughs> but really oh shit because like he's gonna overshadow me if you can if I if I you know if I don't take this guy out yeah. so um yeah Sean and H is my my first pick super. Darren, give us a pick. It it was on my top ten, just yeah. for the. Uh, I think that will be I, on. I know you said that will be. On it was everyone's. Yeah. yeah, it was on mine. Um, I suppose I didn't really. I put the list together at ten, but I didn't really um, grade them as in a top five or top three. Yeah, these were just a group of matches, selection of matches that for me. Um, like epitomise SummerSlam, you know? Because like that, they always brought, as Ian said, big, big matches to SummerSlam, you know? Um, there was, 
we've never really at, at the likes of the Royal Rumble or Survivor Series had headline matches the way you did at Mania and at SummerSlam. They were far, far more gimmicky, as Ian said. Um, I suppose I'm going to go, since he started us off with, with a, a HBK match, I'm going to roll another HBK match in there. Ooh. And I'm going to hit you with Vader and HBK. 96. WWE Championship, 96. Um, quality. Absolutely quality. You know, um, Sean being the smaller guy, Sean taking an absolute beating of his life, um, which which was what he did at that stage. You know, he was WWE Champion. He, he basically got beaten up for 25 minutes of a match. And then in the last three minutes, he did enough to get over the line. You know, and he was, it was just, his work was just, Unbelievable man, really, really was uh, his selling, uh, everything like it was just it was tops. And Vader for me doesn't get enough plaudits as a big guy. Vader for me is is a uh, you know they talk about like the likes of you know Big Show, he's the greatest big guy of all time. Mark Henry's the greatest big guy of all time. If you're talking big guys, Vader's up there for me. I've got to tell you. Um, me too. And and you know. For a big guy, he was phenomenally athletic, you know. Um, the moonsault and stuff like that. For a guy that size, you're like, wow, what the hell is he doing here? Um, and he did sell it as a really big heel for me. Like, you know, when he came out, you just thought, I absolutely hate that bloke. Like, I, I, you know, it was brilliant, I have to say. So, Sean and Vader are my first on the list for this evening. That's a great show. Yeah, great show of a match. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I kind of looked at some of the matches kind of from a different angle, insofar as I looked at some of them that were guys potentially coming in or guys that they were trying to build and how they booked the match and how that match propelled them up into the higher echelon, if you like. So I kind of came across two um, Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio at 2002. Ray was really only coming in, sort of. Angle won the match, but as a match, the way it stands up and stuff like that, it really propelled Ray Mysterio into that sort of pathway to start him. You know what I mean? Was that the match where Angle was wearing that beautiful, uh, like pinstripe red and white? Yeah, it was the opening match. Yeah, it was. But uh, it was, and, and yeah, and what an opener if you think about mm, it. You know, but yeah. it really, the one thing I took out of it really propelled Ray Mysterio really up into that stardom thing as a, as a legit competitor. You know what I mean? Um, the other one that I looked at, which is not one you would think would propel someone into stardom, but when you look at um, 2016, AJ Styles versus John Cena, I thought was an excellent match as well. An interesting match, of course. Most people have kind of been a huge AJ Styles fan coming into WWE and stuff like that. John Cena there, obviously, as the stalwart in there, the go-to guy, the ruthless aggression guy era, you know. And I just thought it was brilliant the way he put Styles over and stuff like that, you know. An awful lot of the time, people think that Cena didn't do a real good job on that, on putting people over at times. I think this was one of these times where he made AJ Styles look a million dollars. And the key moment was when he hit the attitude adjuster off the top rope. And Styles kicked out, which I thought was unbelievable. I just thought it was brilliant, you know. Um, so they're kind of two matches that I had on the list in terms of matches that took guys and propelled them up into that top level, if you like, um, in terms of superstar. Um, so that's why I had them on my list. I'm uh, seeing you've brought up 2016. I'm going to throw another one out there because I have one from 2016 as well. Um, and I have... 
Finn Balor and Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship at SummerSlam 2016. Um, bittersweet for our for our friend Finn. Obviously, you know it was the uh, it was the night he won the Universal title. But it was also the night that he got injured and had, he, he vacated the next night. You know, um, but for me again, as as Noel says, talk about elevating guys. You know, other than that injury. And I and I think the biggest factor in 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 Balor's troubles in WWE stem from that injury. Um, they gave him that platform, you know, and and he was unlucky to be. Well, some say he was unlucky to be injured, and others say, you know, Rollins didn't really do his job there. Um, well, that's that's a hundred percent what happened. Yeah, Rollins you know, was just careless. And he was I mean, careless. He was careless, you know. But that that for me, you know, that's where it started to go wrong for Finn even though it was such a big night for him and to, to get that universal title because, you know, if he comes out of that uh, a healthy wrestler, I think we see a, a completely different um, dynamic than, than, and, and path than what we ended up seeing. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah. I think it was, he'll look back at that night with, with fond memories, but I think he'll also look back at it and say, what could have been, you know, um, yeah, it changed the whole dynamic of the WWE landscape. If you think for the next potentially two to three years, if you think about it, yeah, it's gonna, he, they had definitely nailed their flag to this guy. Baller was going to be the guy, you know what yeah. I mean? And and Seth, then, Seth was, was was kind of a dick at that time, though, wasn't he? Because I mean, he had done it to fucking you know Sting as well. And the funny thing is, you'll hear people going, "Ah, well, Finn knew it was an accident." Not really. Do you remember when the two? Remember the the, the series that they done the documentary? And the two of them were both lying together, and mm. um, because uh, I think Seth done his leg, he done that in Dublin done actually. Dublin, as yeah. I was going, he done oh, it yeah. as I was going to the, done it literally as I was walking down to go to the toilet. I'm not even messing. I was walking, boy. This is an absolute true story, mm. hand on heart. Rachel verify it. I was walking down. He was wrestling Kane, and really? I remember I was literally say from, you know, say from your your front door. To like literally where your car would be parked is where I was at the time walking down to go to the toilet and I saw it and just went, Oh shit, that's a bad one. Like, you know, you just know anyone that's played sports or been in a ring or anything like that, you know when you've you've done yourself, you know what I mean? Or you know when someone's done it. And um I uh it was very strange because that that whole documentary you know, Finn is sitting there and you can tell he's looking at him going, Ah, so we're here now, and you could see him going like yeah. yeah, karma. <laughs> yeah, and it and it kind of was. I mean, look, Sting. He done it to Sting. He done it to. He, he wasn't listening to anybody. Like, and it was very um, anybody. <laughs> I listened to. I listened to absolute jabronis telling me that. Oh, that was Fergal's fault because or Finn's fault because he put his arm over. Listen, the reason he put his arm over is because if he didn't put his arm over, you're talking about a broken neck, and it's a different story. Literally, he was just thrown into a barricade and then it was like now fend for yourself and whatever way you land is not my problem and that's what happened and yeah. uh, the only reason that shoulder went there anyone that has done anything in a wrestling ring or anywhere even like a stunt man would tell you that you had to like with that kind of move you want the back going into the into the barricade you know what i mean so that that can take the brunt of it this was literally a case he had he had to put his arm over it. It was just unfortunate. 
Um, and then he got the kind of unfair tag, I believe, of, of being called injury prone. But I mean, stop putting him in the ring with people that don't injure him and then he won't be injury prone. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like the 100%. last time he got his he got his jaw broken in NXT. They were like, oh, he's very injury prone, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, a guy bearded him full force in the face. Like. Guy kicked him in the face. Like, you know what I mean? Ask Bret Hart about kicks in the face. Fucking idiots. Anyway, yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> continue, did you, continue, Darren. <laughs> did you say Bret Hart? We did. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to come in with Bret Hart now that you've mentioned too. Which and, of uh, your which of your Bret Hart matches are you putting forward first? First, um, because there's well, obviously more than one. Well, there's nine now that I've got Sean out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that would not surprise me in the least. <laughs> no, there's seven. Um, <laughs> I went with a uh, Brett V. Owen, uh, 1994 steel cage, um, the old blue cage. I mean, the follow-on from that absolutely amazing, which still is the best match, in my opinion, um, of WrestleMania 10 is Bret and Owen. I know the ladder match and all will get all the plaudits and stuff. For for me, as a as a catches catch can bell to bell professional wrestling match, I think that match that him and Owen done at WrestleMania 10 is still one of my favorite matches of all time. And this Bret and Owen match in the cage, good lord, um, the story that was told in that match. I mean, one of the one of the sad things now is obviously because we lost Owen. One of the things that always gets me you know, close to tears is when you hear Brett talking about how when they done that superplex from the from the top of the cage and how he wanted to protect his brother, like because we're they were going, you know, from such a height. And then like obviously knowing how he passed, you know, that there was no one there to, to, to kind of protect him. It's it's one of those sad things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um there's parallels between it really, isn't there? Yeah. It, yeah. It's there is, do you know what I mean? It's like I was there to help him that night, and I wasn't there to help him that night. It's kind of like it's really, really sad, actually. Um, and but what isn't sad about this match is that it was just an absolute belter of a of a of a match. I mean, it was it was a pro wrestling match with inside the cage, and the cage was only used when it needed to be as a gimmick, and that is a testament to the ability of these two guys. And knowing how to get the fans emotionally invested in it without just having to, I mean, there, there was no, there was no, uh, there was no crimson masks in this. You know what I mean? There was no blood. There was no, it was just the story that was told in this. I think it's the best cage match of all time, personally. And I, and I think following what you say there, you know, there's, there's times when, when steel cages and hell in a cell are used for, for purpose. I think like, this was used only because they were already at their going at each other at Mania. So, you know, to, to, to spice things up a little bit more, you've got to bring stuff to the next level and they add the cage. But it played such a small part in it, yeah. you know. Um, and, I, and again, that's definitely a testament to how the two boys were able to, to move around that ring. And, you know, it was, it, it's, it, listen, it's on my list. Um, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, Really, really phenomenal. But I've got to say, as I, as I, I, I would be a big Brett fan anyway, you know. But as I looked, I was doing a little bit of research earlier and I was looking through and I was like, I could have a list with a solid five out of these 10 matches, say Brett on them, 
you know. Yeah. Um, SummerSlam was his pay-per-view. That's why, you know what I mean? It really was. Uh, but you could say that about any of the pay-per-views he was around at the time. But you are right. Like, it's just... He yeah. was just phenomenal. Uh, I yeah. definitely think... Um, when, when we talk about, you know, the Mount Rushmore's and stuff like that, and, and you hear people say Hogan, Flair, Taker, we don't hear enough Bret Hart's. Um, for you on this show, though? <laughs> for, well, you know, but for, for, for the quality of wrestler he was. Yeah. And yeah. um, Bret's biggest problem was that maybe Bret didn't want to be as big a star outside of the game as he wanted to be inside of the game, you know? But from a wrestling point of view, Wow, just yeah. unbelievable, man. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Um, L to Bell, you knew what you were getting, you know what I mean? 100%. And, and I think Noel has kind of alluded to it in the past as well. Like the Brett and Owen matches are just they're it's it's like basically Owen, like unfortunately, when Dynamite couldn't wrestle anymore, it was like Owen was the guy that stepped in, you know what I mean, that could fit in in that kind of um, yeah. You know what I mean? Not the same wrestler in any way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, you can see the similarities. That high flying stuff. Brett liked working guys like that. Yeah. But then again, Brett liked working guys of any style, and I think that's why he's probably. I think. Um, I I think as well. Once you play the family card and you bring it into the emotion of a match, it drags the audience in. And I suppose on top of that as well, I'm sure between the two boys there was a healthy competition about, you know. Who was the guy, you know, and Stu's eyes or whatever it is. Who was the guy, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, I'm yeah. sure there's, because we, we know in a lot of these matches, we know that Owen used to have ribs even going on within the matches and stuff like that on Brett. Yeah. He was just such a fucking prankster, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he must have been at times, I'm sure you see it with Brett when they did that whole family feud and stuff like that. He must have drove Brett insane at times. With the and the thing about it is, anyone that knows me, mm. you boys do, especially you, Noel. I've more in common with Owen than Brett when it yeah. comes to that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I love it. But yeah, Brett and Owen is my is my my second match yeah. in no particular order, as I said. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good choice. I, I picked out two Bret Hart matches. Um, one was the one against Perfect, SummerSlam 91, which I thought was an unbelievable match. But I thought the significance of the match in terms of Brett capturing the belt yeah. and sending him on that pathway to the top, it was a catalyst for him to show that he was kind of ready for that sort of position and for more. And I, I often look back at Brett's career and I look at that match and I go, that was the time where not so big men became big men, if you yeah. like. Um, so that one really sticks out in my mind. And, and you know, isn't it hilarious when we talk yeah. about like not so big men? And like when you look at Bret Hart and anyone, he's a fucking monstrous Monster, man. Yeah. But, but just, you know what I mean, in terms of when you think of the house. In that the world. world. Yeah, yeah no. World, and yeah. one thing I'd like to say about that match, it's on my list too. How can it not be? Um, and it's on my list three. Yeah. So, right, Darren, let's let's have a discussion about it because that's what we're really doing about these matches, breaking them down. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. One of the big things about that, and people that you know probably know now that Perfect wasn't in his best of health then and shouldn't have been resting. His back was really bad, yeah. but he still wanted to do that for Brett, obviously because they were all so tight. You know what I mean? They were. They were. I mean, I think him, Perfect, and Rude were pretty almost as solid as any 
you know, a trio could be. As, as close to family as you'll get. Exactly. So, like, perfect doing that for Brett. And, and, and it's funny, when you look at that sharpshooter, you know, when he ripped the ripped the, the, the singlet off him, yeah. that sharpshooter looks like one of the most devastating sharpshooters of all time. And it looked like, Jesus, Brett, you're not actually helping us back there. You're worsening it. Yeah. If you actually look at it, his, his ass isn't actually on his ass, but he made the sleight of hand look like he was leaning right back. Yeah. And protected him as much as he could. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that Brett really did probably better than anybody. Made things look so real, mm. but without hurting opponents. You know what I mean? Well, he also he also made a career out of wrestling top level five star matches with guys who had some sort of issue. Yeah. Now, and that's I'll move on to my second match in a minute, but it's a similar type thing. He always had a career of wrestling guys that either were carrying an injury who wanted to work with him because they knew he was so safe and he would look after them or two, they were having issues outside of the ring or something like that. And he knew that he'd have to be the guy to carry this match as if he was nearly wrestling himself. You know what I mean? And I just, I just found that's so remarkable about Bret Hart's career when you think about it, you know? Yeah. You always come out of you always come out of the ring, uh, the better for being in a, in, in a match with Bret Hart. I mean, uh, look no further than one, two, three kid at Raw. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. The, the the second match I had, obviously, which alludes to that fact, is obviously SummerSlam '92 in London, of course, where he had the match with Davy Boy. Neither me, we we didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, but I I I had it on it in terms of showing the whole dynamic of Bret Hart in terms of. Davey was having such issues outside of the ring and stuff like that. And Brett literally had to carry him to such a top level match, if you like, in terms of what was delivered on the night, considering what he had to face. So that's that's where I'm sort of re-emphasizing the point I make about Brett in terms of sometimes he had to be a part of a match and sometimes he had to be all of the match. Even even if he's on the losing side, if you like, he was still all of the match. Even if he's wrestling a zombie, if if, if so to speak. I'm not saying Davey was, but like you no, could but, tell. Hmm. There were certain things in that match Davey got. Anyway, sorry, Darren, you did. You you should come in there because you had you had perfect and Brett, and I'm sure you have Brett and Davey as well, yeah? I did, of course. They were yeah. my I put I, I, I managed to stump it down to three Brett matches. So it was Brett and Owen in the cage, Brett and Perfect, and Brett and Bulldog at Wembley. Um you, but again, you could have had another three. You really could like. Um but I think you're right in what you're saying. You know, win or lose, you always left the ring in a better position. I hadn't wrestled Bret Hart. And that's mm. again a testament to the man and to the wrestler that he was. That that he could he could go out there and dance with anybody and make them look like because for for a for a period I'd say you're probably talking I don't know ninety four to ninety six we used to have that what was that American one on a Sunday afternoon remember the one with the flag oh um, god damn it well we had mania on Saturday morning then no nah, I remember Sunday afternoon five o'clock Todd Pettengill used to do it there was a cow on the thing and all but Brett mania. went through. It was no, just called no, no. WWE Mania. That was that used to be on Sunday morning. And no, then it was an American one with it. They used to have an American flag and stuff. I'll find out. But he went through about a two-year period where every week he was in the main event. And he was every week he was in the main event with somebody else, the repo man, the one, two, three kid, the Skinner. You know, it didn't Skinner, right? And you're like, how is this guy making all of these guys look this good? 
Mm-hmm. You know, he was just phenomenal. He really, really was. I suppose if you're a wrestler from that period and you don't have a pay-per-view Bret Hart match on your curriculum, yeah. you probably might feel that your career is incomplete. Even how yeah, she had one, you know. Yeah, but regardless of who it is, if you <laughs> yeah, think about Hakushi. it, when you think about the variety and the amount of matches that Bret Hart had, if you were in there and you don't have a Bret Hart match on your CV, your career probably feels you look back on it and go, you know, I missed the beat there. I should have worked him. Yeah, because because it was such a wide variation of, mm. you know, jobbers, so to speak. Yeah, he was yeah. going through, like you mentioned, Skinner there. You know, like he he he, it, he he was able to put guys across and, and you know, let them do their thing. He, and, and, you know, he always walked out with the belt and, and, and he always made guys still look slightly better than than they were, you know. You know what the difference with, uh, I've always said this with the difference with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart is when they talk about their selling. And, and when, you, when you really look at it, right, Shawn was great selling, like, and very acrobatic, very much like Mr. Perfect. They had a great match in SummerSlam 93, by the way, just an honourable mention. Um, I think when you look at uh, Brett, his selling was more believable. He was in there with guys like, say, the Berserker. There's another guy, the Berserker. That would, and he would just, you know, anything he would do, it looked like it would hurt. Like, mm. as if you were getting hit by this lad on the street. He's you know, big that's exactly. Yeah, because you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna take a punch and jump into the liffy like Shawn Michaels yeah. perfect would. Yes, in real life. Do yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Hundred percent. That's that. That's the point I'm making. Like, I love that. Take a punch and jump into the liffy. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm like, just visualizing that now. You know, on yeah. A Saturday night in town. So good. <laughs> so good. Whereas, yeah. whereas, like Brett would actually kind of sell the back that he was sell the spot yeah. that he was hit in yeah. and make it look like it was real yeah. and a real fight. And like, you know, he'd gnaw and scratch and fucking claw. Um, I mean, sorry to, to go off off topic, but I mean, Royal Rumble 93, is there a better Royal Rumble performance, really? And I think that shows Brett's skill. Mm. Bam Bam Bigelow, Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon all in one night. Yeah. You, you know, how, how do you even plan for those three matches? And they're not, they're not little five-minute matches. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I, and I suppose to re-emphasize your point, just go look at Hogan versus Sean at SummerSlam 05. <laughs> Punched into the Liffy. <laughs> That's the or, or don't watch it. <laughs> or don't. Punched into the Liffy. Save, um, yourself, save yourself 12 minutes and don't watch it. Absolutely. I, I suppose I'll end my little um, Brett love in here um, with my SummerSlam picks um, because I did pick one more Brett match and that's it. And it was uh, Brett versus Taker in 1997 with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee. 45 minute match, near 50 minutes, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, one of Taker's better matches, I think Taker will tell you that himself. Brett always, or Taker actually said Brett was his favorite opponent in the sense that it was just you knew what you were in for. It was it was gonna be snug, it was gonna hurt, but in a good way. Sean, as the as the special ref, I think added a lot to it. He had a lot of energy in it. This was the whole the whole year of Brett and, and Sean, and it's the famous, you know, Brett basically telling Sean "fuck you" and then spitting, and you can read the "fuck you" from his lips. "Fuck you," spit. Sean hits, goes for the chair shot. The, the, the stipulation is that, you know, if Sean doesn't call it down the middle, he can never wrestle. 
in the United States again. If Brett loses, he can never wrestle in the United States again. Great story writing, great booking. And, of course, Sean hits Taker. Boom, we're off to the races. <laughs> Brett looks Sean in the eye while he's on top of Taker. Count it. And Sean's one, two, three, and he gets out of the ring, and I'll never forget it. He's like, ah! You know what I mean? Just genius. Yeah. I think it was a great match. Very, very, for anybody that's kind of forgotten about it, go back and watch SummerSlam 97 with uh, with Brett and Taker. Unfortunately, on that match, or sorry, on that card, that's when Austin obviously got the, the, the neck injury with, with, with Owen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, other than that horrible kind of thing that happened, it was a, uh, that wasn't a main event that, you know, stands the test of time as well. Again, Brett working with a guy like Taker in his prime at six foot ten, um, showing exactly what he could do, working the knee. In fact, go back and watch that match tomorrow, lads. Anytime Taker would even take Brett up by the neck to kind of push him into the into the turnbuckle, you'd see Brett like, yeah, you know, like you, you'd hear it. And then like he'd just go for the little cheap knee shot, you know, just working on that knee, constant, 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 constant. Yeah. Brilliant sharpshooter around the ring post and everything. Real old school way of work. Oh man, man, and that's it. But, but I mean, look, I, I stand by all my picks on, on those because they're they're matches that are definitely some of the best that were in there. And as, as Darren alluded to, you could probably add about another four Brett matches on top of that. Yeah, so, minimum. Minimum. Absolutely. Yeah. Darren, Darren, give us give us a couple more, a bit of variation. I'm gonna give you variation, Noel. That's a great. That's a great intro in there. Uh, a great link. So I'm gonna go the Nexus versus Team WWE at SummerSlam 2010, and not necessarily a great match from a technical point of view. Um, but the build up to this match was everything, and you know the. The storyline leading into it was was really really good and had everyone on the like everybody that is was true, crazy. yeah. I had everyone zeroed in. Everyone was like, "Okay, who's this? Who's this last member going to be?" You know, and uh, was it was it was tops. It was really really top. They had us on tender hooks, you know, and um, and and the great thing about that is it wasn't in a in a in an age of necessarily like social media where we were told the day before that it was going to be fucking Daniel Bryan and kill the whole <laughs> buzz on the thing for us. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like if they did that now, they're going to go through the whole thing of, you know, like you've seen with the Hardys or with Edge where they're putting hoodies over their head and they're putting them into a trailer in the back of the fucking stadium and they're trying to get them in under a cloud of noise and, you know, as opposed to just something like, you know, Let's just keep storm lads. Let's just fucking shut our mouths and do our jobs and yeah, do this the right way, you know. Do it the magical, yeah. Keep the magic alive, yeah. Keep the magic alive, man. This is the big problem for me with you know not to get off topic, but with a lot of a lot of wrestling these days, you know, I really don't want to know on a Tuesday what's going to happen on the following Raw. Um, I know it's like these L ones that actually go back. Do you know what wrestling fans? If you're that wrestling fan that needs to know what's going to happen. You are the equivalent of that L1, Doc Cotton from EastEnders, literally sitting and reading the TV mags, knowing what's coming up in the week of your favourite fucking show. What do you yeah. want to know about it for? 
Yeah. God damn it. Let's don't let's be have, Doc Cotton. Enjoy let's the show. Have a bit of, let's have a bit of mystery. Let's have a bit of fucking, you know, let's have us all on the edge of our seats, salivating at the thought of what's gonna happen. Even too many Pat Butchers in the world now, that's the problem. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, hundred percent, man. Um not about Pat. You're throwing them off as trying to talk here. You, can't, you can't, can't get enough Pat Butchers, man. But, um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, but, you but can. definitely, um, you know, that, that's just, I think if we if we did that again, I think social media would kill it. It would yeah. kill it completely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the sad thing. That's what, what, that's what wrestling fans and kids now are completely missing out on. You know, that exactly. element of, like, if let, let's say it does happen and let's say Punk does show up at AEW this week, won't be that much of a surprise. We fucking heard about it for four weeks. Because, And you know what the worst part about yeah. it is? And I'll say it, it's that one fucking idiot, mainly, mainly along with his other little, you know, idiotic friends, um, Dave Meltzer. You know what I mean? People like him have gone on too long with a career in it. like Because he, he salivates off this now because he makes money off ruining wrestling. And guess yeah. what? He gets it wrong 90% of the time anyway. He's a big moron. Like the heaviest he can get to with steroids is about 180 pounds anyway. Sucks to be you, Dave. Um, you know, he's a face like a bleeding crushed melon. Um, yeah, he's a creature from the fucking blue lagoon, if you ask me. Oh, tell you, yeah, oh, not from the black one. Yeah, this this is Darren Dampton and down CM Punk's debut because he's still hoping he shows up at SummerSlam. <laughs> I, I've still I've still got that candle light in the window, yeah. man. Punk, don't Just, do it, don't do it. I think anybody that wants to think of Dave Meltzer as a credible source should just go back and listen to Jim Cornette's uh, analogy mean, on him. You know what I mean? The, <laughs> this whole five-star thing, this whole five-star match thing, like, he... I don't, know, I don't know if I've ever seen a Young Bucks match where he hasn't given... Brett and Owen only got three stars. at WrestleMania 10. Case in point. You know... And these two little absolute fucking spot monkeys, the, the, the young books, fucking having four and a half and five fucking stars every week on fucking AW Dark when they're working with two fucking gremlins. Get a hobby here, Dave, will you, man? This fucking wrestling lark's not for you. And your finish Fuck is a melter driver. <laughs> He's a fucking melter, all right, not a melter. Go on, what, what, what's the other one now that you've, you've let off all that steam? I love it. Say I'm punk yeah, the yeah. WWE, stop. <laughs> right, since we mentioned the man's name, John Cena and CM Punk undisputed title 2011. Oh, I picked it. Stomper, absolute stomper. It. Yeah, um, it was probably it probably one of Punk's best um, main event matches in WWE. Would you say? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, really, really solid. Just from start to finish, a had you, you know. Um, and, and obviously the lead up into it and, you know, the pipe bomb and I'm going to step over that guardrail, I'm going to take her to everything. Just It just built to a point where you went, oh man, this is going to be outrageous. And it didn't let you down. So often you get so hyped up about something, you think, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then it's just not. And then you just go, oh, that was shit. Whereas this didn't let you down. This was CM Punk. At, at that stage, he was 110% the best in the world. There was no doubt about it. He was the best wrestler on the planet um, from every point of view. His mic skills, his in-ring work, it just everything. He was the total uh, I package. Think, I, think, I think Prince Devitt was still had him on that one now. Just, 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 just being biased. 
Just being boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a flip of a coin. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I would concur with that. Um, I think, you know, it was, uh, you know, contrary to popular demand, I uh, I was never even the biggest CM Punk fan other than until I heard all this, till he got on top. Do you know what I mean? Because he was kind of that new school kind of ring of honor stuff that I never really appreciated. And Noel, I know you'll back me up on that. Um, but I really appreciated, you know, the stuff that he was doing, especially when I heard, you know, the, the fucking verbiage that came out of his mouth. I was like, this guy's the same as me. I love this guy. <laughs> why, why, why haven't I been listening to him all along? This this guy is perfect. Um, yeah, I think that match in particular really shot Punk to the stratosphere. And I think, um, see, it, it, again, it, it shows the class of John Cena and how good John Cena is and knows when it's time to let somebody else, you know, take the hold the candle for him yeah. for a while. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, just give him a break. Take the burden off the shoulders for a little while. And I think this match was absolutely... Um, it was perfect for what it was. You know, it's not... Um, you know, it's it's not your... your you know, it's, it's not your Brett and Davey type match. But I'll tell you one no. thing. It was uh, the story that was told coming into it. And I agree with what, uh, what Darren said there. The story coming into it and the build-up behind it to show that these two boys actually punked on a great little sleight of hand here, didn't he? He's like, you're not the problem, John. I don't care about you. Mm. It's that I'm fighting the system here. And it's like, but you're representing the system, you know? Yeah. And it was just, it was genius, man. That, that, that whole, that whole 2011 punk. And when, and when these fans cheer you, John, it makes me sick. Yes. You know? Just... Yeah. Gold, absolute gold. Yeah. Like, it got, was he gold. Got, he got real gritty with it. The way he he knows exactly how to do it, doesn't he? Ah, yeah. yeah. And and you want him to be wiping the bloke's face in it, you know, yeah, to to really get the absolute best yeah. out of him. You know, you want him to have seen his nose right in it and just go mm. taste a little bit of that, John. Yeah. That is fucking me. You know, that's just. Do you remember the? Uh, do you remember the bit when he said like it, it was on Raw when the pipe bomb dropped? And he goes, "As you lay there, John, hopefully as uncomfortable as you can possibly be." Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. John's yeah. lying there going, "Fuck up to but, listen to this." But, but didn't he? Didn't he have a way in those promos the way he did it that like he would make you, if you were on the receiving <clears> end of it question your own moral existence and stuff like Absolutely. that in terms of yeah. whether you should yeah. wear this. It was like he was nearly trying to convince you to come to the straight edge side. To tour, yeah, yeah. Come the stuff, the, the yeah. stuff that he done with, the stuff that he done with H, I've been looking back on recently, mm. and the stuff he done with H was absolutely phenomenal mm. in terms of how he was calling him out. Just like mm. when H would go, I actually want you and I'm going to kick your ass and he goes, that's the guy that I want. I want the cerebral assassin. I want the angriest Triple H that I can get just so I can kick your ass. You know what I mean? It was like, it always came back to who's going to kick whose ass. You know what I mean? Because that's what pro wrestling is. There's definitely a point, though, where, you know, where he crosses over from wrestling world to real world, you yeah. know? And, and, and that's, when, that's when he gets you. Yeah. That's when he suckers you in. You know, yeah. when, when he's when he's dripping those little bits, yeah. those little nuggets of gold, and you're going, yeah. Jesus, man, he's right. 
You're, you know, yeah. senior, senior, you're a brown noser, man. You got that nose so far up Vince's Jackson, man. You're, you know, yeah. that's that's it. And you're just thinking, I love this guy. Like even that's even his work with with the Rock. Remember when he goes, "You're a good get good ass kisser, not nearly as good an ass kisser as Dwayne, though." <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and then when the Rock came back, you know, the Rock's like coming at him and then he's looking at the rock like literally half the fucking size of him literally the rocks i was watching it yesterday the rocks bicep is bigger than punk's whole body yeah and he's just like you're good and he goes i'm swinging for the fences i'm in the big leagues he goes your arms are just too short to box with god and you're going whoa that is some and you're looking at him there and he's kind of the skinny guy with the lip ring and the whole lot like and you're going, what the hell? And you're matching up to this guy, you know. And But you know, he used to laugh at them as well because remember he laughed at Triple H in his face when he goes, I'm going to kick your skinny fat ass. And he's looking at him going, can he back? Pick one. Pick one. Yeah. Yeah. It was like he downgraded your 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 response. You know? Yeah. yeah it was Just by good. a facial expression. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, AW have a hell of a free sign in there. Just like Chelsea have a hell of a Darren, Darren, don't let him. We know he's coming Saturday. He's coming to Vegas the summer. Saturday I've got the candle. The candle is lit. Um, I hope someone ends up harpooning the fucking Luchasaurus. I've um I've three <laughs> I've three more I want to drop. Um one was one that I really popped for. Um Daniel Bryan versus John Cena, SummerSlam 2013, Triple H as the referee. Um, as you know, Bryan won, but of course, a favourite of the show here, Randy Orton, cashed in. And the pop off that cash in, I just thought was brilliant, you know what I mean? Because yeah. Daniel Bryan was the, the kind of the indie hero, the crowd hero, all this kind of thing. And Orton just coming down, of course, nearly bonding with Triple H again, cashing in was absolutely electric. And then, like, Cena trying to do his due diligence by being there, giving this kid a shot, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was just so cool. Like, um, The other one, same pay-per-view, 2013, was electric. Um, speaking of Punk matching up the big man, Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk. Um, this really showed, I think, the dynamic of CM Punk in terms of his work as well, because everyone expected this just to be a, a beatdown. Um, but Punk got a lot in in this match. In, in fairness to Brock, you got a triangle and all, yeah. in a, and I was like, yeah, I remember right. that bothered me. Yeah. I remember that bothering me at the time. <laughs> even though I was all in on Punk, I was like, no, no. If you done that in real life, you get your ass kicked. And then obviously, you know, real yeah. life happened, and we, yeah. we we know that. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but um, I thought it was really good as well. Obviously, Heyman turning on him as well. And then you have the, the Heyman Brock error, of course, went off and running, you know. And I, I, li- I like the dynamic of the triangle as well, insofar as, you know, people were aware of Brock with the UFC and stuff like that, that he wasn't a yeah. great sort of jiu-jitsu guy and stuff like that. So the triangle kind of fitted at the time as well, you know, because he had been tapped to mirror, you know. That was the that was the Uso moment, wasn't it? Yeah. From, from the last pay-per-view, you know, when he's like, oh, you? You know, yeah. that was... <laughs> and that's the type of stuff... That that we're probably missing week to week on on the on the collective writing and the creative writing. Mm. That's the type of stuff that should one hundred percent be involved all the time. Mm. Any of those sort of outside issues, whether it's DUIs, whether it's you know Lesnar being tapped, any of that, that always gets a massive reaction from the crowd. You know, um, and, very, and they're not. 
they're not necessarily playing on that as much. And I mean, you could use it in a sense where it's it's maybe a contractual issue. You know, you see Adam Cole at the minute, Willie Wonky, you know, what way is it going to go type thing? That can be brought in. That can be the next time he shows up on SmackDown. Somebody says, don't forget, kid, this is the last time you'll be on SmackDown before you head off to the Indies or what, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, There's a very very unique way of writing the David and Goliath story, isn't there? That keeps us on the the edge of our seat, you know? Um, My final one, Triple H versus Rock, 1998, the ladder match, IC belt on the line. But of course, as we know, it was the Nation versus DX. Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and when you get the Nation versus DX, of course, <laughs> Triple H is going to win, isn't he? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I brought that one in there as well. I thought it was a big one at the time for both boys as well. And it was yeah, a good match. I actually watched it recent enough. Um, yeah. H was wearing that kind of blue, the the long tights, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. the one they just brought out in the figure. Yes, yeah. yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've the red variant then as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember it being, you know, I had remember it being a good match anyway. I, know, I watched it back because I know Jesse Ventura was on the in the main event as the special ref. Um, yeah. I just have weird memories of these shows. Who <laughs> was on them at that time and where it was? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that was that's a good shout, Noel. Actually, um, very good shout. That's- I I have two left on my list that of my list of ten that haven't been mentioned. Between yourselves, uh, so far because I know Noel's list is on. Four, so I've been waiting. So I have Rock and Brock for the undisputed at O two. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, again, weird, like, weird dynamic in the in the building that night. Right, strange, very, very yeah. weird. I mean, it was but, like Brock was gone and. Very but again, it added to the, it added to it. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. It added to it, you know. Um, and I mean, like, I think they're they're two big guys, but I mean, they're two very athletic guys as well. You know, they move it, they move at a serious pace for guys their size. Now, yeah. if we're talking about you know throwing them in a ring with, you know, watching Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston and guys that size, it's it, we're a different level. But when you look at two guys of that size, two guys that played American football, two, you know, 250, 300 pounders. Well, hold on now. One, one that one that could play and one that tried to. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> you know, two that were built to play uh, sure. football, you know, um, for them to move and to be as athletic as they are. And um, for me, is just it's so impressive. It really is. Um, I, I am still surprised it's it's a market that WWE don't tap into more. Is that, yeah, that no, I, I would I would agree with that. I think as well, I think the way I've always liked to watch my pro wrestling too, and based off what you're saying there, Darren, 100 percent in agreement with you. I think not enough people um they tend to watch a pay-per-view and th- their feelings on the night, that's it. They go on to the next one and it's never revisited. Mm-hmm. For me, I always and I always did this because I always recorded the pay per views on on tape anyway. Yeah. So I'd record it and then I'd watch it the next day again when the uh, you know when the dust has settled. It's like when we watch our football matches. You know what I mean? You think yeah. a certain player is played bad, then you go back and watch them again. You're going, okay, wasn't as bad as we actually thought. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've always done that pro wrestling too, and 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 I think more people should do that. Should kind of just step back a little bit and go right. If you watch that match as as it was, you're going, oh, that's weird. If you're watching it live, but when you actually go back, like you mentioned, you go back and watch it now, it's actually a hell of a match. Yeah, and you realise that the fucking that kind of heat and that kind of um pissed offness of the crowd doesn't happen anymore. No. 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 Because they're not giving them enough reason to be pissed off. Because like we said, they're looking up, they're doing Sally Webster. They're fucking literally trying to watch, you know, trying to find out what's happening before it even happened. Yeah. I I really just did the and you know there's lots of things that great on me about wrestling these days. But one of the ones is uh, that you can now obviously bet on it on Paddy Power. Um, because once you've looked at the odds, that's the end of it. It's, you know, uh, oh, I know. Speed dial, baby. It's all right? good. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, I I might look at it every now and again when there's a pay-per-view and then, and then I've looked at it and I go, do you know what? You're a fucking idiot. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. You know, now you don't do it everyone. You do it maybe every six, eight months, you make that little mistake where you go, I'll have a little look. Maybe you've had a good weekend. There's a few pound extra in the account. You think, might see if I can make a few dollars here. And then you look at it and you go, really shouldn't have looked at that. Going to be no point watching the fucking pay-per-view later. Seems I know the result of every match. Like it's one to eight, the fucking, you know, such and such is going to win such a match. Like it's just, you know, that that for me, it's bullshit. It's the equivalent of betting on your own team. You don't do it. If you want to sit down and watch and enjoy something, don't bet on your own team. And that's ex- it's exactly what they're doing yeah. now when they're just trying to find out what's happening before it's happened. Um, I think that was a great show for, for a, 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 a SummerSlam match. Yeah. Was I, the, was one more, wasn't there? I've got one more. My last one. Uh, a man we have mentioned a number of times this evening. Bret Hart is on the Mr. Game. John Cena. <laughs> Uh, 06 with Edge for the WWE Championship. Um, I know Noel loves that. Noel was in his Edge days back then. He had the hair and all. I, I, um, I think Noel mentioned, sorry, somebody mentioned it earlier about how, how Cena knew when it was time to to hand that kind of baton over, you that know? Myself. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, I think he realised at that stage that if I don't give this guy this uh, now, we lose the whole thing, you know? Um, and that's again, that's the mark of the man, uh, you know. Um, and I think obviously, like, you know, he he just he's a phenomenon, John Cena, he really is. But I think Edge as well is for me again, you know, he's 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 up there yeah. with you know, one of the greatest of all time. Again, when we talk about the body work he's doing now since he's come back, like I'm salivating at the thought of Saturday night with Seth Rollins, I really am. Yeah. Um I think we'll get an absolute top match and I think that is another match with John Cena at 06 which was a stomper. Yeah, I think the absolute um, when you think of John Cena and you think of his savviness in terms of projecting himself forward you know, maybe four, five, ten years looking at his career path he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to achieve but when you, when you look at it like he was very aware that you had to lose, you had to pass the button over in order to get the button back. Yeah. yeah. It happened so many times and he was very clever that way and very shrewd. His timing of when he gave the belt off to when he got the belt back 
was critical in his career, you know, and he was very clever in the way he did it. And, oh, and, cl- and clever to the point where a lot of people thought there was a lot of politicking and stuff like that and all. And I'm sure there was at times because I know the company, he was their blue eye boy, merchandise, everything else, you know what I mean? But he, he knew when it was time, when he just needed to slightly step back to let someone step in there to give credibility when the belt returned to him. So, um, yeah, hats off to the man. Absolutely great choice, Darren. Oh yeah, I have four left, but I'm gonna go through them, and you can yeah. see what you want. I'm going to um, we're gonna bring a modern one into it. Modern for my fucking standards, anyway. Ninety six, nineteen seventy two. It was the bunkhouse stampede. <laughs> <laughs> Lutez versus Pat O'Connor. <laughs> Donny Brook for two hours strap match. <laughs> I actually went with um. One from 2004 with a uh, Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero. Brilliant. Um, for anyone that remembers that, yeah, one. it was it was on my honourable mentions. It didn't make the list, but it was it was in and around the discussion. Let's say, yeah, well, just two two guys that I mean in their absolute prime. I mean, I was an Eddie Guerrero fan since 1996. Anyway, um, first time I saw him, I was just like, yeah, that guy is for me. Um, I went then back in time just a little bit, <laughs> twelve years to be precise. <laughs> um, I went with Warrior and Savage. Yeah. And I went with Warrior and Savage yeah. for reasons because Warrior gets a lot of shit from me included, but when he was in there with Savage, he was always in good hands. Do you know what I mean? Same way when he went in with Hogan, he was in good hands. When you put warrior in there with someone that knew how to get the best out of them or to get what they needed out of them for, to do business it was it was gold you know what i mean yeah. and i think this was one um i then went to 2001 see people are surprised that i'm in the in the millennium here now um i went with kurt and austin Yes. So Angle now has is is making a he's creeping up behind Bray here on yeah. my uh, list. So see, I'm not biased. I just like a certain type of wrestler. <laughs> see, what we should have done, we should have done a top ten Brett list, and then we could have included these matches in all our other lists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Kurt's only one off making as many yeah. appearances as Brett now. Yeah. Don't do the math if you're listening to this because I'll fucking find you, and I know. <laughs> <laughs> drop it in the comments <laughs> drop it in the comments section because I know I'm wrong but it, it, still Kurt has made a couple of appearances here so Kurt and Austin 2001 I thought was awesome I thought that was an awesome match um, and don't forget like this is still like the fucking blue chipper here now at the time Kurt you know he's still only a year and a bit into the business here and here he is with Stone Cold Steve Austin but, um, but as we know, the dynamic between those two boys was unbelievable. Oh, unbelievable. Jimmy Crack Corn and all oh, that stuff. Um, Brilliant. And then I finally then went with a match from 2000. So people are annoyed now that I have not don't have more 90s. Um, I went with Benoit and Jericho, two out of three falls. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that... For anyone that remembers that or can't remember it, go back and watch it. Unbelievable. I mean, these two boys, people might think Jericho's a joke these days or whatever, whatever said about Jericho. My God, 
you know, he was never, Jericho was never as technically gifted as the likes of Benoit or Guerrero or Malenko or anything like that. But what he, what he wasn't technically gifted with, he certainly made up for in charisma and effort. Absolutely. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I'd agree with you there, you know. It's fair to say when you look at his body of work, he was one of the hardest working in the business. Yeah, and I think he knew that he wasn't technically, like he, sometimes he could be sloppy in the ring, and I've said that before. He could be very, very sloppy, you know, with headlocks and even like the simple stuff. He could be, but he knew it. Like the thing is, he knew it, and he was, he had just enough ability to be able to hang with the likes of, uh, you know, an Angle or a Guerrero or a Benoit. And that it didn't look out of place. Does that make sense? Yeah, in the, match, in the matches, you never seen his shortcomings because he had you focused on the good stuff he did. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And that's as much to do with, as you said, you know, somebody like maybe Bret Hart, who was a much more technical wrestler, sold you on his matches. Whereas Jericho would sell you on his performance in the match and, yes. and still get through the match to a yeah. degree where you wouldn't go, that was absolute horseshoe, you know, he because of everything he did outside of the moves and, and the reactions and the, you know, everything he did. He's like he was he was technically just good enough, but like not like to the level of say, like I mentioned a Guerrero, a Benoit. Yeah. He was good enough to hang with them. Yeah. So yeah. therefore and then again anyone would look bad with those guys. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. if they didn't know what they were doing. So I think Jericho deserves to be in that conversation with them. And uh, that's I always, um, no. I, I always love Jericho as well, the way he gave you that in-ring commentary from himself. You know, going away where he'd be talking through the match himself and stuff like that. Though. Yeah. You know, like you'd, you'd see him in the middle of a match and be like, I got to kick you, Benoit. And all this kind of thing. You know? Yeah, he'd be like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> yeah. And he'd keep you going with his own internal commentary of the match as well, which is going to kill. Plus, He's probably, you know, in terms of working a crowd, I mean, what is he? Is he second to Hogan and Rock in a very short race? Couldn't be, couldn't be for, couldn't be much further behind, no. He's top five anyway. Yeah, without a doubt. Come on, baby. I used to love that pin. Come on, baby. Yeah, yeah, but his history is the sexy beast and the Ayatollah Rock and Roll. The best was, you remember when he'd get like, he'd get a wrist lock on? Yeah. And, He'd have the wrist lock on. He'd be like to the ref, "Ask him, ask him." <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, when he, you go back, when you go back and look at him, isn't there parallels there even with Owen Hart in terms of yes. like you know, that was that was his favorite wrestler, wasn't it? So yeah. like he was his, he was his biggest promoter. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. um, he's not he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't garner as much, not, not let's not say respect, but he seems to be becoming a, little, a slightly more grumpy old man these days. Everything is kind of, you know, he's moaning about this and he's moaning about he's that. 50. He's 50. <laughs> but I just think it also, it also adds again, like you talk about more of the layers to that character, you know, where he's just like, he's still, he's still kind of morphing even now. Like he's so many years into the business and he's, you know, he knows he can't maybe hang with some of the guys in the ring, but he knows he can still perform and he knows he can still put bums on seats based on the character that he's putting in front of of, of the camera, you know. 
And like, and isn't that the story? That's the story of his career, isn't it? Like, I mean, he didn't need, he didn't need to find a niche in terms of his in ring performance. Like, he no. didn't need to be like a Benoit who needed to be a carbon copy of the Dynamite Kid, or he didn't need to be a carbon copy of Owen Hart in terms of. Because don't forget, it's it's actually funny that you know that Owen Hart is his favorite wrestler when you think about it, because Owen Hart never really found his niche in the sense of Owen Hart never had a set performance within the ring. He could just go in and perform and knew all this stuff that he learned from Mexico, from Japan, from Calgary, from the UK, from Germany, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Jericho fits that narrative very, very easily Um, that, you know, he has his main moves. Sure. But he can go in and kind of, because don't forget Jericho was wrestling these Lucha boys in in WCW, you know, just that's right. He He was a cruiserweight. Yeah. Even though he was anything but a cruiserweight, I mean, Jericho was. Yeah, a yeah. He was in the cruiserweight pounds. division and he was going toe to toe with Hilventil Guerrero and, you even know. Dean Malenko, like, even Dean Malenko right. was a cruiserweight, but, like, Jericho was quite, very much so in the heavyweight bracket, you know. Yeah. It's, it's probably safe to say as well, he's probably top of the list in terms of wrestlers who have been able to reinvent themselves. Definitely. In terms oh. of their attachment to what's going yeah. on in the real world out there and bring it into the ring and not only reinvent himself, but reinvent himself as in a way that he goes back to the top again, not just be there. You know what I mean? And I think his career is outstanding from that point of view. He did a, he did a sign in recently with uh, one of the companies um, and he was signing copies of his book, you know, and, when they Which were talking, I have to get, by the way, I have to get that. When, book. when they were talking about the book and the inscriptions people wanted in the book, you know, like let's say if it had been Razor Ramon, you'd have had maybe two or three inscriptions that were possible. You know, it'd say the bad guy Razor Ramon, or it'd say, um, you know, too sweet, or it'd say something like that, right? Whereas the 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 broad range of what people wanted inscribed on that book was a testament to how he'd been able to reinvent things so often, you know? Um, and that's again, down to like Monday, Monday night Jericho. You remember those shirts? Like yeah. <laughs> it just fit in perfect. I mean, this lad, you're talking about a guy, I know we've turned it into the Jericho show now, but why not? Um, like you're talking about a guy who said in his book as well that when he was given 10 seconds to be on TV in TNT, he was going to make sure that those 10 seconds meant something. I mean, like that whole, you know, kerfuffle with uh, with with Dean Malenko, you know, screwing him. And he actually went and stood outside the White House and demanded a meeting with the president of America because he was a conspiracy victim. <laughs> I, I love them. I love this. I mentioned it to you, Ian, as well on a previous podcast. I loved his interview when he was talking to Steve Ball when they were talking about CM Punk coming in and how big a deal it would be. And of course, the world is losing its mind about CM Punk coming back to AEW and all this kind of thing. And Jericho turned around, he asked his opinion on it. And Jericho turned around and says, Yeah, if he comes in, it will be a big deal and he will come in. But he says, AEW is doing brilliant things anyway. <laughs> and I just thought it was brilliant in his mindset the way he was still thinking, look, yeah. I'm in there and I'm doing brilliant things. He'll come in, yeah, it'll make a difference, but we're all doing brilliant things. So it was really, really cool to hear that dynamic, you know what I mean, that it wasn't. And, and he is quite egotistical like that, 
where yeah, there's been a bit of jealousy to, with him and Punk yeah, over the yeah. years. Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. want to be he wouldn't want to be overshadowed by an incoming CM yeah. Punk because he's like I am Le Champion and you know what I mean? Like it's fucking it's gold. He really well, like, is. It's, it's hilarious, isn't it? When people talk about, oh, well, you know, Punk is going back and he's 42 and he spent eight years out of the ring or whatever many years out of the ring and you're going, lads, <laughs> I was never a superstar. All I need is literally two months down with the fight factory and you'd be back to it. You're like Punk is is no jabroni. Like, no. you're he's, talking he's about... He's not coming back to look bad. I, like, no. He's, He's ten years on Jericho too. Yeah, yeah, and and he and he'll never have the man boobs that Jericho has. So you know, he needs to he needs to start hitting the. Well, I think that is wrong. Shame on you. Shame on you on this very podcast. I'm gonna body shame Jericho and tell him to hit the fucking gym and hit the fucking hit the keto diet. You little. If I look, if I look as good as Jericho does, (laughs) forty two, I'll be happy. <laughs> a lot of mileage, a lot of mileage on that body, you know. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, Jets, you. Jericho, if you ever want to come on the show, yeah, hit up him. Yeah. <laughs> John Cena, if you ever want to come on the show and tell us about that time, absolutely. That someone knocked at your door in Ireland. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, it's absolutely been a pleasure looking back at these super <laughs> summer slam shows. Always a great look back and stuff like that, as always. Dynamo Podcast Network on YouTube for all the videos show. Podbean, Spotify, iTunes for all the audio versions of the show. This has been your four Podmen book back. Do you want to be on the TV guides? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Right beside EastEnders and Brookside. <laughs> this has been your look back. Fuck that bitch, that cotton. At the top ten. Summer Sally Slam Webster guy. See, this is Darren now trying to put me off my ending. Into the show because he got so around, but that's all good. As always, Twitter at T Podman, hit us up. Comments down below in the video if you want to let us know your top 10 matches. And sorry, if you are like Darren and you want to light a candle, <laughs> hit us a message. <laughs> make, we'll... sure, make sure you light a lot of them. <laughs> it's a stretch, but we live in hope. Till next time, man. Absolute pleasure.